0: today in the attorney career advice podcast with harrison barnes
1: the jobs are most of them don't pay particularly well they're not demanding in the sense that the attorneys are expected to if they're in a legal role all those attorneys are accountable they're forced to do really good work as a young attorney you're getting trained in a certain way of thinking and working A, a very interesting topic and it's something that i think will teach you quite a bit about getting a job and also a different attitude about getting a job in terms of the way people think about it coming from Yale Law School. And the career paths of Yale Law School graduates are so different than graduates of other schools, including Harvard and Stanford and Chicago and Columbia and Michigan and Virginia and Duke, that it really is worth talking about and quite unusual, as a matter of fact. It's a much different approach to a career than any of those schools, people that come out of your regular kind of top 10 schools or top 14 schools or top 25 schools often look at career success as working in a law firm and getting a good job there. That They're very competitive doing that and starting your own firm or going in-house. But Yale Law School graduates are a lot different. And I'm going to talk about that today and, and the reasons I think that is and, and what I've noticed. And, and every day I receive applicants of people that went to Yale Law School. And their resumes are, for the most part, very unusual. Very rarely see a resume of someone that went to Yale Law School that after they graduate, they go to work in a law firm, for example. You do see people that have worked in law firms, but at the same time, the career path is much different than at least these are resumes that I've seen over the past quarter century. Sometimes these attorneys start out in large law firms. Many times, a good percentage of the time, they work in law firms during the summer. But something happens to these attorneys after a few years of practice. They take jobs in the government, and academia, with policy think tanks, overseas with public interest organizations, or in the US, with public interest organizations. And then it's almost as if they bounce around from these types of jobs, from job to job. And then when I finally see the resumes, they may be like six or seven years out of law school or more and all are these things that don't have anything to do with working in a law firm and a lot of these attorneys also never work in a law firm so i see resumes all the time of attorneys that are 5 6 10 15 years out of school and they've never worked in a law firm or if they did it was extremely brief and then their resume contains all of these think tank policy and public interest and nonprofit and that could go on and on but it's almost anything but a law firm. And by the time they're interested in working in a law firm, they really can't because they don't have the experience. And law firms, of course, are impressed with people that go to Yale Law School, but as a commodity and as someone that they can rely on to work and that's going to be committed and wants to work in a law firm, it's very odd because they can't. And sometimes they'll even contact me. It's very funny. I'll get resumes and the person will say in a cover letter, that I would be interested in a partner role in a large law firm, and meaning they expect a law firm to look at Yale Law School and just immediately offer them a partnership, even though they've never worked in a law firm. And I see this not a lot, but I've seen it enough that it's a definitely a pattern, and, and it's very interesting. And the jobs that a lot of these attorneys go to, they're jobs that I think can be competitive to get, so that a There's a lot of people that are trying to get jobs in different departments of the Department of Justice and working in politics and things. So they're not working as law professors. is another huge one. It's what the Clintons did, for example. But the jobs are, most of them don't pay particularly well. They're not demanding in the sense that the attorneys are expected to, if they're in a legal role, they're not expected to go to work and be there for 12 hours a day or 15 hours a day. They have lives outside of that. And the economic value of these jobs, meaning if they're sitting down and doing work, is it producing money? Typically, it's very negligible. A lot of these jobs are funded by things that don't require a lot of accountability. So if your job is to sit around a policy think tank and think about things and write about things and talk to people, that doesn't really have accountability. Or if your job is to, if you're, I don't know, but it's not like you're billing hours and if you're an attorney inside of a law firm and your billing rates say it's hypothetically $1,000 an hour, and you work 2,400 hours a year, that means you're generating $2.4 million for the law firm, and the law firm will be pay you a very small percentage of that, maybe $300,000 or $400,000. So you're generating wealth. But in the jobs that a lot of these Yale Law School graduates do, it's, you wonder, where's the wealth coming from? There's no wealth being generated. And because they're not accountable to real clients and no billable hours, there's no way to say, hey, you're doing a great job or you're not doing a great job. It's just not there. Because your clients are often governments, think tanks, law schools with a lot of money where they can sit around and philosophize about different ideas and groups with a lot of money to spend without requiring a lot of accountability. And So these jobs in many cases, now I'm not saying that all are because sometimes they're clerkships that are one year, two years, or they could be jobs with public interest organizations or fellowships and that sort of thing. But these jobs are safe compared to what law firm you don't see. I talk to attorneys every day that are laid off and fired as first years and second years. And that's scary. And these people go to Harvard and they go to Stanford and Chicago and Columbia and all these good schools. But you know, within reason, all those attorneys are accountable. They're forced to do really good work, Questioned if they don't do great work, they're pressured with hours, their partnership track, or they're competing with a, a bunch of other people. But Yale Law School graduates do not go into those kind of jobs very often. As a matter of fact, they get so far off the track in most cases that it becomes very unlikely for them to ever work in a law firm. And if they started out in a law firm, the route that they take is so far away from working in a law firm that they'll never be able to go back. And they may not want to, but they're, they're very surprised when, when the market doesn't welcome them back. Because if you want to work in a law firm and get the advantages of working in a law firm, which I think are huge, meaning as a young attorney, you're getting trained in a certain way of thinking and working. And then once you become proficient in a practice area, you can start getting clients and running matters, whether deals or cases, and then you can take your skills and try to get clients. And once you get clients, you have a, a business, which is a book of business, and you can take your book of business to other firms or set up your own firm. So the law firm model, I think, is awesome. I think there's obviously a lot of drawbacks, but these Yale Law School graduates basically disqualify themselves from the ability to run a legal business with their degrees right away.
0: who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. And I've pondered this
1: for the longest time, and I've wondered, what the hell? Like, these resumes of these graduates, they're just no no one who's going to be interested in them. There's, and then when they go to workplaces, they go to work, I think about it, maybe I'll commit. I, you just don't know. And again, my job is to place people in law firms. So I'm just talking to you from the standpoint of someone that's watched this. But when I compare the resumes of people who went to Yale Law School to those of other top law schools, I've always thought the people at Yale seem lost and as if they don't know what they're doing. And, And it seems crazy to me. And then even law firms will tell me, like the top law firms, we don't like hiring people from Yale Law School. They're not good corporate attorneys. They're not good litigators. They're not good and, and really, why? Like, why if someone is has the uh, potentially the best LSAT scores and the best grades, and not only do you have to have good grades to go to Harvard or Yale Law School, but the school will look at the type of classes you took and they'll they'll say, wow, this person majored in Greek. And then they also became proficient in Japanese and, and can write at a college level in Japanese, even though they learned Japanese as a freshman and very interesting people. Or the Maddox and just all very smart people. I've also thought about the school and the resumes and because they give such an appearance of aimlessness. And the other thing that's interesting is if you look at the the career services office of Yale Law School and the type of resources they put out, they're very good. It's a very good career services office in terms of the quality of stuff they produce. So I don't think that the school necessarily bears any issue problems or it's not serving the students. I think that there's probably a culture of the school that makes people decide not to work in law firms and that other types of work are more fulfilling and better for them. And When these attorneys are looking for jobs, and I think there's a culture that probably is built up over decades of that, but when these person, people call up, they typically expect to join these law firms, but law firms aren't having it. And, and a lot of them become law professors. And and they'll say things like, I would like to join a firm like Gibson Dunn or a Melbourne as a partner, but I'd like to try to get myself into 40 weeks, 40 hours a week if possible. And this level of arrogance and entitlement because they got good LSAT scores and grades and took hard classes and got into a good law school is amazing. Because, you know, why? What the heck? Just because you're, there's people that are just as smart as law school graduates, they went to go to Harvard and they go to Chicago and they go to Columbia and they go to Michigan and they go to USC and UCLA. But then they'll add, what kind of vacation benefits do they offer? And when I talk to people from Yale Law School, I often think they're in an alternative universe. Like they don't understand like that law firms are businesses. And just because you went to a good law school doesn't mean they want you to be part, doesn't mean you can generate money from them in their business. And, and so this example of a law professor makes me question this because I hear this all the time. And I wonder to myself, I'm out of touch with reality. And why would someone with seven years of experience teaching three classes a semester in law school, and then hecking the summers off, and who's written maybe three or four really good law review articles that have been in top 25 schools? Law reviews, it's what would make them qualified possibly to work in a major law firm? And I've had these conversations a lot, and they've never made sense to me. Because if you talk to people that went to Columbia, Michigan, Duke, and other schools, they would never have the audacity to be Uh, so careless with their careers and never come back. They do, of course. People from top law schools go off track, but they don't go off track in the way that Yale Law School graduates do and taking jobs that don't pay a lot and so forth, They and that are in public interest and government and stuff. What other people do, which is very interesting, is they follow the rules and play by those rules, whereas Yale Law School graduates feel a different set of rules applies to them. Very interesting, because it's almost as if they're above it or clueless, and I think it's being above it, and meaning they don't think it's important. They think other things are important. So initially, after years of looking at these resumes, I came to the following conclusions that Yale Law School graduates, in terms of their careers, had no idea what they're doing, that I probably needed to talk to them when they came along and give them a lesson in different value systems. And, um, and then I needed to help them be more effective attorneys and get real jobs and then commit to them. And I used to give speeches at law schools, and I don't really do it much anymore because it requires travel. And, and But I often told future attorneys that, um, that they were not as great as they thought. And But Yale Law School was fascinating to me. And I often thought about giving this school a call because I wanted to tell them and talk to them about why are these Attorneys coming out that have these kind of aimless careers, but this like huge arrogance associated with them. What's wrong? And they're very angry a lot of times when you tell them this. And you tell them, like, listen, man, you haven't played by the rules. So no one, top law firm, is going to hire you. And, you know, then they end up mad and, uh, and not producing economically like they'd like to. Often, man, I'm trying to be rude here, but a lot of times living alone uh, would. No, no kids, and this is very interesting. What's going on here? And so, again, I've never called up Yale Law School and told them my thoughts, but the idea occurred to me, and, uh, and then I started thinking about it. Could this be a good choice of what they're doing? Are they, do they actually know something about the world and legal careers that I don't know? And that, if you look beneath the surface, could it be that these graduates are actually some of the smartest, most well-balanced, and career-savvy attorneys imaginable? Meaning. Is there some sort of logic to this? And because obviously, they've produced an incredible number of well-known national important figures and done very well, people that have done extremely well in the market, and meaning doing, whether it's being the President of the United States or a governor or a senator or a writer or a thought professor, and they've produced a lot of very successful people. So my thought was maybe I had it wrong. Maybe the grad, the logic of these students from lesser schools, meaning things other than Yale Law School, was flawed, and the people at Yale knew something that people like myself, who frankly and probably you, are followers. So meaning I don't consider myself a follower, but my, what I know about legal careers and what I was taught was that that I should think about law firms and maybe a clerkship, and then from there. Try to have a career in a law firm. again, may, I thought maybe I had it all wrong, and maybe the logic of these graduates of lesser schools was flawed, and the people at Yale were right. and so what in, I'm going to tell you why in a minute? And uh, maybe they knew something I didn't know. And I thought about it and I thought about it for a long time, and I think I understand it now uh, because there's something you pick up when you study these graduates that many times they may actually have be happier and have better careers. after all, they're not. Toiling around in law firms and doing all these political games and having to bring in business. And, and I think I understand what they're doing. And I've already told you, but I'm going to tell you again. And knowing this now, I'm actually very impressed because what they're doing is available to you and can profoundly change your career. And, and when I was in law school, I remember years ago, I was, I don't know, I was going out to some bar or something with a friend of mine. It, and we were sitting in a car and waiting for, I don't know, but this is great. All you need to do is take classes here for three years, and then you can make, back then, the salaries were much lower, $80,000 a year. And obviously, today, it would be multiples of that, but meaning right out of school. and But this is you know what this future attorney was saying, if you get a law degree, you can rent yourself out and make all this money. Basically, that's what he was saying. If you get a degree, you can go in the market, and this is what you're worth. So that's how a lot of attorneys think. They think about getting jobs, this is the kind of attitude that pervades NYU, for example, or most big law schools or prestigious law schools. The idea is you get a job, you have you're more market, you get a degree from a good school, you're more marketable, you're worth more than you were before you got the degree, and you can go out in the market and make a lot of money. That's the thought process. And so what I think is a traditional way of thinking about a career, which is how most attorneys think, again, is that they want to rent themselves out for as much money as possible. So attorneys think in terms of their salaries and then what they're getting, and they're fascinated with it. If you go to blogs, they talk about salaries. If you go to top law schools, for example, like the website, they people are talking about money. If you go to wherever people are, what whatever the legal career type stuff is, people are talking about money. And this is what's important to them. And and so attorneys trying to make get, make the most money will always say, this is my salary expectation. This is how much money I want to make. This is what I want to make in another firm. And uh, and a lot of them will go to New York because it traditionally is paid the most, or they'll go to big cities and big firms. And New York is interesting because the taxes and it's hard to advance and the hours are bad. But And people feel badly when they don't get these jobs. Every week on these webinars, there's you know, people that are trying to get a higher salary or upset about their compensation or wanting to get into big law and all this stuff. And, uh, and this is how most attorneys think. And they think that if they're not doing this, there's something wrong with them. And this is what they're about. Most lawyers are all about charging rent. So why are Yale Law School students thinking this? What does these people know that you don't know that is going on in the market? And, uh, and most lawyers will shape their careers in ways that allow them to charge as much rent as possible. They want to go to the biggest firms to pay the most money. And if they're not there, they feel badly and they try to get working ones that'll pay them more money. And, and this is what it's about. It's about rent. What are you, how much do you rent yourself out for? And this is what people think about. They think about it when they get jobs as partners. They think about it when they get jobs as associates. They think about it when they move firms. It's all about rent. And the idea is that if you're in a turn, you can rent yourself out for a certain amount per hour. And, and you want to rent yourself out to the law firm that will give you the highest rent. And when the work dries up in you know, a law firm no longer will give you work, then you rent yourself out to companies or sometimes the government, but generally companies or a smaller law firm where you might not get as much rent, but you'll still get rent. And the whole idea of salaries and jobs and so forth, the way attorneys think about it is rent, meaning you're renting yourself out and you're trying to get as much rent as you can. Now, this is not how all attorneys think about it, but a lot of them do, way more than half. And I don't know what the percentage is, it could be 80%, but it's high. And And so people want to get as high a salary as they possibly can and as much money as they possibly can. And often the things that I think are important when you join a big law firm, like learning, getting taught to look at things in detail, aren't really what it's about. So most attorneys, you just have to face it, are rent seekers and You're going to succeed based on your ability to find people to pay you rent. That's pretty much how people think about it. And the highest higher rent um, you get, the better you'll do. So these are economic things that underlie the legal profession. And, and so I would think since this is such a drive that most attorneys have that you would want to understand these rules and what they mean. This is just a kind of an offhand example, but my first summer of law school, I worked at the justice department in Washington, DC. And for whatever reason, and there were a lot of Yale Law School graduates, I was on a floor of maybe 20 attorneys, and I think there were five or six people that were Yale Law School graduates, and they all seemed very smart guys. They would come in nine or 10, and by 5.30, the entire floor was cleared out and they were gone. And uh, they did things like play softball, belong to softball leagues, but they all seem to have a lot of free time. and. Uh, and i would look at this with kind of amazement i would be like what are they doing like why would they work in the justice department where they're making a half or maybe even less than half of what attorneys are making in private practice they must be crazy like why would they do this what are they thinking and certainly i realized that you know it's that there's a nobility to work for the justice department and they were working on huge matters things that had national importance but i didn't look at it that way i looked at it like why are they not? Why are they working these jobs that don't pay as much? And and a lot of them seemed incredibly happy in these jobs, and and they always spoke about how much they liked them and how happy they were. And to me, I would look at that and I would walk out of this building, anyways, main justice, and walk down the street, and there were offices of big firms, and I would see those attorneys, and I would be like, wow, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be like these people in the just department. And and I would think, why are they? making half of what they could make in a large law firm. And I'd be like, God, what's wrong? What's going on? And, and even though I was excited to have this job, I certainly would have much rather had a job as a summer associate in a law firm.
0: Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, We include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. And
1: then I'd go down to the basement where they had a cafeteria and I'd have lunch with them and I'd wonder what was wrong. And I would be like, why would they work two years for what they could get it for doing one year? And then the next summer, I was an associate at my second summer at a large New York law firm. And then I, I was doing a clerkship the year after I worked as a summer associate. And the firm found out that I was. And my school had told me that a clerkship would help me in my career. So I decided to do it. But when I got to the law firm, all the associates in the firm were puzzled. They were like, why would you do a clerkship? You would make in half of what you would make here and and that's crazy. And meanwhile, a lot of these associates in the firm were very unhappy, which is funny. But and they certainly weren't talking about practicing law with as much happiness and enthusiasm as the attorneys in the Justice Department were. But I didn't pick that up. I was like, wow, these guys are sharp dressers, they're smart, they're, they've are they got these cool jobs, and I just thought about it too. So here, this is the problem with most rent-seeking attorneys, and especially ones, and again, I'm not being critical of you or anything, but the ones that cast their lots by charging law firms money for their services, is that they're often in a situation where they can only charge high rent for so long. What that means is they. this is what happens to them. So I remember, I don't know what it was, but it was eight or nine years out of law school or seven or eight years. The friend of mine that was bragging about how much money he was going to make or how great it was to get a law degree called me and he was very upset. He'd been working the law firm and charging rent, I don't know, maybe it was 12 years. And I become a non-equity partner in a major firm. It was a big firm, Richmond, which you probably heard of. And he had three children, a house, and a wife. And he thought he was doing well, but the law firm basically came to him and said, hey, you don't have enough business and, and it doesn't make sense for us. So I mean, Basically what they're saying, and this is what they say. This is the logic of what happens. You become a partner in a lot of major law firms. They'll make you a non-equity partner. And if you don't bring business, that means you're going to be reliant on other partners to give you business and, and your billing rate as a partner is going to be high. And so a lot of those partners would prefer to do the work themselves or give it to senior associates. That's just how it is. And so they will basically ask you to hit the road. Um, and sometimes they'll make you a counsel and stuff, but generally it's hit the road. and. So, the law firm basically came and told him he no longer had a job and he couldn't believe it. He was like, I build all these. And this is what associates always say I build all these hours. I was the highest biller in my class, my partner. And, um, so, what this guy did is he sold his house actually and became a solo practitioner. And because he realized that you, and this is what a lot of people realize when they take these jobs with big law firms, and at some point it ends, it can end with there's a recession. It can end when you get senior and don't have business. It can, it can end. But there's definitely not a lot of security in trying to charge high rent for your services in a law firm forever. Meaning unless you bring in business, you're at some point, things are going to catch up with you. And you have to, just from an economic standpoint, provide a lot more benefit. or You have to provide a lot more benefit than you're taking. Meaning the economic rules have to really be in your favor. Meaning, if you don't have business, you're billing three thousand or whatever hours per year. A ton. You're billing a lot. If you then so whatever they're paying you is has to be very little compared to the economics of what you're getting. There's an interesting thing that happened. It was after the financial crisis. All these banks, and I don't know what bank it was, I think Citibank. All these banks got got money from the government to stay in business and stuff, and 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 were, there was a someone that managed I don't know traded options and did all this kind of stuff and had a very good sense for it and at, at I believe Citibank and and he made a hundred million dollars a year and they called the bank these senators did this hearing and I don't know they were doing this Dodd Frank bill I don't know what was going on but they had this huge hearing and they brought and they brought the bank and the CEO of the bank and they said we can't believe it this is awful that you're charging that you're paying someone $100 million a year, how do you expect us to be bailing you out and doing all this stuff when you're paying one person that much money? And the bank, whoever was talking said, you don't understand. Like, We pay him $100 million a year, but he generates $4 billion a year for us. That's how much he's made. He's got an incredible sense for this. And not only that, but if he decided he didn't like it here, there were, there, anybody would hire him. Why would they not? He's making us three million nine hundred, three billion nine hundred million dollars a year. So it's like that when you're an attorney too. And so then all of a sudden, making $100 million a year makes sense. That's what people do that do very well financially is they provide much more money than they're taking. Basketball players and athletes making hundreds of millions of dollars. I just read a story today about some soccer player being paid $400 million by a soccer team in Saudi Arabia. Anybody that's getting that kind of money, you can believe that, better believe that they're generating multiples. So, someone's getting $100 million a year, they're probably generating $500 million or a billion, much more. So that's how the rules work, but you need to think about that as an attorney. You can't just expect to get a high salary and get paid in a law firm unless you're p- providing a heck of a lot more benefit. And everybody is a rational actor. So, what that means is law firms, just like you, when you're hiring people, do not want to. They want attorneys that are going to build the most hours and be the hungriest. And then, why would they want to pay a partner $800,000 a year when an associate that's making half of that can do the same work and be more profitable and take less work? You just have everybody's a rational economic actor. So, it's just it's very important to understand that. And it's, If you understand the rule of that, and then what are you doing to make yourself more valuable to law firms? Are you studying your practice area? Are you becoming an expert? Are you learning new stuff every day? Are you continually improving? And and if you're not, why not? And because the people that are going to be very successful in law firms are going to learn about all this. The most successful lawyers spend a lot of time listening to self-improvement type things, meaning if they want to be an expert in litigation, maybe they listen to talks about closing arguments and things. People are just constantly improving and a lot of people aren't. They think that they can get comfortable in a law firm and don't realize that all these economic forces are operating in the background. And if you understand one thing today, it's like you need to be afraid of those because there's hungrier people coming along, there's smarter people coming along, there's more people that want your job coming along, and there's people that can provide more value at a lesser cost coming along. So what happens to a lot of these attorneys, when the economic train stops is there's divorces, there's all sorts of problems. And again, I think divorces are very common because they happen because of money problems. And many times and people get too stressed out, a lot of people realize that rent won't be paid forever. And, uh, and so no matter how technically proficient you are, if employers don't need to pay you the amount of money they're paying, you know, then they're not going to keep you around. And these rules just are what operates in the market economy. The market economy, is brutal. Now you have AI and things that is working to replace some sort, some types of attorneys. You can summarize things and transcripts, and there's so much that can happen. If you don't understand these rules, and then you're going to be always in a lot of trouble. And law firms and the market run on very aggressive economic rules. And the bigger the city and the bigger the firm, the more those economic rules are running in the background. And economic rules basically mean efficiency, the most value for the least amount of money, the, all that kind of stuff. The people that are easiest to work with, those that are hard to work with. And law firms are always, and attorneys are always look, values. The law firms are always looking for the maximum value. And same thing with you, when you're looking for a job. And if a law firm can get someone younger and hungrier than you, they will. And if they can pay someone less, they will. And if they don't have to make you partner, they won't. Like most people, when the time they make partner, they deserve to be a partner. They provided so much more value. It's just almost as if, why wouldn't you make them partner? You'd have to be crazy not to. And and if they pay you less money, if they can pay you less money, they will. If they can pay you less of the revenue you're generating, they will. And so this is just the economics of law firms, and and they operate as ex- they operate to extract the maximum value they can off of attorneys. And there's just a constant force in the law firm world, and it's stressful. This is why people are stressed. This is why people work so hard. This is why people have health problems and all this stuff working in law firms. And the economics of any economic system are brutal because law firm, law schools are churning out 30,000 attorneys a year, whatever the number is. And then they're all hungry and they all want the kind of job you have. And these economic rules are brutal. And that's what you're up against when you work in a law firm, especially in large cities. And so law firms lay people off, people are afraid of losing their jobs, People are stressed out and don't exercise or whatever and they take care of themselves or drink too much and become with alcohol, pills, divorces, weight gain, weight loss, cancer, heart attacks and all this stuff. That's what the economic system does to attorneys. I'm just sorry it does. I know so many attorneys. I'm like, where is this person? Like I someone I worked with in early in my career, like where are they? And then I looked them up and it was a young associate and they're you hear they had a heart attack or they died of cancer or they're, or they're, they've gone insane, or they've been, not insane, but yeah, insane, or they've gone to prison. A lot of people I know went, I know so many attorneys that went to prison. I don't even know what to say about that. It's just people that were started out in major firms. Weird. And so the reality is working in a law firm surrounded by all these economic realities is tough. I know attorneys have killed themselves. I know multiple ones that are dead. These are law firm attorneys in their early 40s. And this economic system is absolutely brutal because law firms are trying to extract as much value out of you as they can and you're competing with other people that are trying to provide value in your law firm and in other law firms these are some reasons you know why it's tough and there's also a lot of reasons why it's difficult to get in a job with a lot of law firms because those large law firms because they can afford to pay high rent and but the main reason is there's a there's a power imbalance and
0: That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.